Which brings me to our first speaker of the night, Mitch Alexander, who's a 27-year-old comedian, vocalist, philosopher, part-time radio presenter, socialist, utilitarian, atheist, a lot of Easts, uh, reductionist materialist, vegan, who hates labels. He performs stand-up <laughs> at some of the biggest comedy music festivals in the country, toured across Asia and Australia with his death metal band, and hosted everything from community radio to the world's only nationally syndicated heavy metal radio program, The Racket. He considers it a life well-led and that all of his accomplishments involve him screaming into the faces of strangers. To scream at you tonight, we welcome Mitch. Thanks, guys. How you doing? You good? It's good. I, I am... I am a philosopher of sorts. I'll be talking about a philosopher tonight, and I can already see a few faces going, that is apt for Halloween. It's a lot like a ghost story in that it might be interesting, but ultimately it will be meaningless. Um, so I'm going to talk to you tonight about uh, someone who is a scientist and a philosopher. Uh, he can be regarded as quite a good scientist, and at the same time, a philosopher. Uh, it is uh, Sam Harris who I'm talking to you tonight about, you may know him already, but I'm also going to be talking mainly tonight about the idea of good science uh, done with bad philosophy. Uh, I'm doing this because I think it's important that if anyone is doing any sort of science, it needs to be done alongside good philosophy. Uh, I'm also doing this because as a philosopher, I need to justify continued spending in my department. <laughs> Which is not a joke. Uh, tonight is... It's a Halloween-themed show, and obviously there are heaps of really easy examples that I could give about good scientists doing bad philosophies, but I'm not going to mention them much because that would probably just bum you out. Uh, obviously, there's oil companies, uh, cigarette manufacturers, and that well-dressed elephant in the room, Nazis. Done. Nazis are mentioned. We're good. That's the quota for tonight. We're fine. Nazis have been done. That's fine. And now, actually, officially, we are at an open mic comedy show. Or a rally. Anyway, so tonight, like I said, I'm going to be talking about uh, Sam Harris. I'm going to be giving you two examples of his work and to sort of show how uh, good science done with bad philosophy can be dangerous and how good philosophy with bad science is kind of just like Game of Thrones for the socially inept. So Sam Harris is a doctor of neuroscience. Uh, he also has a bachelor in philosophy. And he's now one of those people that has one of those almost meaningless job titles, like a public thinker. Or, uh, or, or contemporary intellectual or investment banker. And <laughs> he initially studied at Stanford. Uh, he did a year and a half there. But during his second year, he, quote, experimented with MDMA and had some powerful insights. <laughs> Which is not usually the drug of choice for undergrads experimenting with consciousness, is it? It's, it's usually acid or mushrooms, not something you can shelve in a friend's bathroom before a party. It's... <laughs> Someone has shelved MDMA before a party. Um, I don't think he saw through space and time so much as he saw through people's resistance to a big hug. Um, so partway through... You're really into MDMA. Partway, partway through his second year, he actually he quit. He went to India. He studied uh, Buddhism and Hinduism under some experts in India, as public intellectuals and investment bankers uh, want to do. And 11 years later, he went back, he got his degree, he got his doctorate, and he really rose to prominence after he released his atheist manifesto called uh, The End of Faith. Uh, that was a best-selling book for him, and that really, that launched him into uh, one of the four horsemen of the new atheism, which you may remember, 
that also includes Richard Dawkins, who is an esteemed and renowned biologist and Twitter troll who needs his account locked. Uh, Christopher Hitchens, who had a formidable intellect, uh, supported the Iraq war and thought women can't be funny. Um, and Daniel Dennett, who is okay, actually. Um, <laughs> bit stuffy and really into computers, but otherwise, stand-up bloke. Um, and after all of this, recently, uh, Harris has become known as a bit of an anti-Islamist. Uh, that's sort of his spin on things now. That's what he's sort of trolled out for, rolled out for. Um, he's one of the spokesmen of a group of people that have, they're very, prog uh, not progressive, they're very conservative and right-leaning, but they pride themselves on their use of uh, reason and the scientific method, and they style themselves as the reasonable far right, which is about as weird as having the fashionable academics. <laughs> or the reasonable far left, for that matter. So the first of Harris's works that I wanted to talk about was a claim that he made in his book, The Moral Landscape. And now in this book, what he wanted to get across is the idea that morality can be based in facts, given that all morality is really just a description and an instruction for human flourishing and suffering, and that we can measure flourishing or suffering in brain states. And so we know what suffering looks like as a brain state, and so surely what we want to do is move across the moral landscape. There can be numerous ways to go into a valley of suffering or a peak of flourishing, but they're just brain states. And so we can work out ways that we can get across that moral landscape. And what we're really saying is that there are valuable and non-valuable brain states to have. And now there can be numerous different ways of getting there, and we might not agree on that, but at least that's a starting point to sort of go, hey, I'm going to argue that honour killings don't move society up a peak of flourishing. And so what this means is Harris is essentially a consequentialist. Uh, this, is a this is a moral theory that decides that an action is good or bad based on the consequences of that action. And he bases all of his claims, makes all of his arguments on the foundation that that simply is what morality is. And if Harris was doing good philosophy, he'd probably also investigate deontology, which is another moral school. Uh, that doesn't consider the consequences of an action, determining whether an action is good or bad, but rather why that action was done. And so if he was to write the moral landscape from a deontological point of view, he'd be looking at brain states that represent good actions done for a good reason. And we could map that and we could see how there'd be different ways of getting across the moral landscape that way, as opposed to just flourishing or, or suffering. And so this is the first example of good science with bad philosophy. Philosophy is something else that you have at 2am <laughs> after too many beers. So suppose Harris is right that the moral, about the moral landscape and that maximising flourishing is what we should be doing and we can measure that scientifically. I happen to agree. I think that's correct. But that's a consequentialist foundation and he builds his scientific outcomes on that. This next quote, which is direct from his book, is so absurd to read as a philosopher because he's making it non-ironically and earnestly, and this is the type of thing that philosophers use to show the limits of consequentialism. This is a quote from the book. The link between belief and behaviour raises the stakes considerably. What will we do if an Islamist regime, which grows dewy-eyed at the mere mention of paradise, zing, ever requires long-range nuclear weaponry? If history is any guide, we will not be sure about where the offending warheads are or what their state of readiness is, and so we will be unable to rely on targeted conventional weapons to destroy them. In such a situation, the only thing likely to ensure our survival may be a nuclear first strike of our own. Needless to say, we covered Nazis, 
Needless to say, he says it anyway, needless to say, (laughs) this would be an unthinkable crime, as it would kill tens of millions of innocent civilians in a day, but it may be the only course of action available to us, given what Islamists believe. And Harris has never denied he said this, it's fact, but he's also simply flat out refused to engage with all of the philosophers who point out that this idea is batshit crazy. What Harris does is posit the scientific hypothesis and he leaves that open to falsification because that's the scientific method. But what he then does is just assumes that his his philosophical positions are totally non-falsifiable. He just assumes that that's a given. And that's just wrong. There's thousands of philosophers that have spent hundreds of years showing really good arguments to why our potential survival isn't worth more than the definite deaths of tens of millions of people or explaining how some actions may not be moral just because they raise our flourishing or the flourishing of society overall. And I think Harris knows this, but he's not doing good philosophy because he doesn't talk about it. He doesn't engage with that sort of, those sort of arguments. And the worst part of all of this is, is now Harris has to engage in some sort of Andrew Bolt-style public speaking, where he now just goes, look, I'm not saying, wink, wink, that we should nuke the Muslim world if we were in imminent danger from a nuclear strike to save ourselves, wink, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying, what if we had to? And it's, he just refuses to admit that he could be wrong and he also refuses to take responsibility for producing material that others can look at and then go, aha, my desire to nuke the, nuke the Muslim world has been given legitimacy. It has a philosophical foundation. Good philosophy needs to rigorously tackle the implications of science. Science can leave out the implications. Just report on the outcomes, the what is. Philosophy reports on the implications, the ought. And it's famously hard to get an ought from an is, but it's impossible if you, at least, if you don't at least try. Speaking of responsibility, I'm going to talk now about free will. I'm going to explain it. How much time do I have left? Free will. I'll just, I'll cover, it's, it's a very easy topic. <laughs> Does anyone here know about uh, Labette's uh, readiness potential experiments? Heard of this? It's an experiment that actually prompted Harris to write another book, Free Will, uh, in which he argued that we don't have any. Uh, so the uh, Labette experiment is that he wired a bunch of people up He got them to push a button and there was a clock on the wall. But what he did was he asked responders to say when they chose to press the button, what the time was on the clock. And what it looked like was that sometimes dozens or even hundreds of milliseconds before the the agent felt like they decided to press the button, the brain had already lit up. And it looks as if there's no free will because of that. Because the brain's already started moving before we want it to. And so a lot of people have interpreted these experiments to mean that we don't have free will, because how could we? If the brain is moving before we want it to, then we're not in control of our brains. If you take a, you take a, a snapshot of the world at time slice t, then at t1, you will know what the world will be, because we're all just propelled along by the physical states of everything else. It's the, it's the cause and effect of the physical world, determinism, all that, yada, 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 you guys are smart. But effectively, what we're saying is we're not in control of our brains. Our brains are controlled by the physical state of things. And so that means that whatever this free will is that we think we're feeling, it's just an illusion. I don't even want to pull this face, but I have to, apparently. But on the face of it, that does seem sort of plausible, but only if you take some things for granted. And in this case, what can be taken for granted by world-class scientists, because they never bothered to think about it, because why would they? Philosophy. 
But these things that you can take for granted are in 2016 only really taken for granted by amateur philosophers and theologians, which is a tautology. But people have spent a very long time coming up with ways to explain why determinism doesn't ruin free will and why free will probably isn't what you wanted or need it to be. If you think free will is something in you that is completely removed from all of reality and it acts without any influence, then what is that? That doesn't make any sense. That's just randomness and that's not free either. Free will is, and this is a horrible level of simplification, and I know this is being recorded and I'm sorry, but essentially... All you need for free will is for your brain to be weighing up external influences with internal influences and promoting action. And so long as your brain, which is the central hub of you and who you are, isn't being illegitimately influenced, then you have free will. The problem is, most people find, is that for responsibility for our actions, for moral actions, we need to have chosen to act in a certain way. But even in that, we recognise that that freedom already exists on a spectrum. On one end, there's calculated murder. On another end, there is having someone grab your hand and slap it across someone's face. And then there's doing vodka shots and putting tra traffic cone on your head somewhere in the middle. There's a spectrum of free will already. But what Harris does in this book is engage in a Miranda Divine type of speech. Because I'm not saying wink, wink. I'm not saying our complete lack of free will means we aren't morally responsible for our actions. Wink, wink. I'm not saying that. But maybe we should assign a little less blame and take a little less credit. Some scientists might say that, but they probably haven't spent decades of their lives making a living arguing for why that's also complete and utter bullshit. We already accept the degrees of responsibility, even in determinism. We know that people are responsible. All we need to figure out is the little bits of where they're responsible. Why is an action causing responsibility? An action, of course it is. It doesn't matter if it's determined. You still did it. The brain, central hub, all that. We covered it. We're good. But here's the thing that makes me worry about good science mixed with bad philosophy. It isn't so much that Harris is making the claims that he's making, that the science can be falsified, but that the philosophy can't be, and that's just self-evidently true. And it isn't even that Harris very obviously and deliberately never engages with the philosophical work already done or responds to people that responds to his work. What worries me is that others might take his approach to philosophy, thinking it's legitimate that you can't falsify a philosophical claim, and base their own interpretation of the science on that unfalsifiable philosophy. And so remember how I said Harris insinuated that the worst case scenario might be a nuclear first strike against Islamic states and because of Islamic beliefs? What if someone took that idea and wasn't open to the idea that maybe that's wrong, that they're just so set in their ways because it's a philosophical claim that there's no way that that can be a wrong idea. We just need to do science to determine exactly when we should pull that trigger. What if that same person takes the Libet experiments as proof we don't have free will and won't change their mind philosophically that that means that none of us have free will and also therefore no responsibility for our actions? And what if that person also made the claim that not only could they not have stopped themselves from using nuclear weapons against the Muslim world in an effort to raise human flourishing, but that they're also not even morally accountable for that action? because they lack free will. What if that person also decided to run as a Republican candidate for the President of the United States of America? 
The election's in November. Happy Halloween, guys. My name is Mitch Alexander. Cheers.